Chapter Eight of Geographical Reader Europe by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Chapter Eight London, the Commercial Center of the World. We start out this morning to see something of London. It is the biggest city of the whole world, bigger than any two capitals of continental Europe or both New York and Chicago combined. It has more people than New England so many that it forms a little world of its own the most of its citizens are english but there are thousands of others who have come here to live and do business it is said london has more scotchmen than edinburgh more irishmen than dublin and more jews than the holy land it has a vast number of french german and italians and many thousand americans it grows so fast that a new house goes up every hour a baby is born every six minutes and enough people to make a large city are added to its population every year london has been described as an enormous beehive of humanity it is a great sea of bricks and mortar and we are appalled in our attempts to comprehend its extent we might climb to the top of the monument in the centre of the chief business section and look over the great city but we could not see it all it has thousands of factories which cause dense clouds of smoke to hang over it the thames which flows through it sometimes sends up fogs which at certain seasons are so thick that the people can hardly see their way through the streets some of the fogs have a yellowish tint and in them you seem to be looking through spectacles of yellow smoked glass how long do you think it would take to explore the city on foot a week more than that a month more than that perhaps a year more than that if we should walk day and night not stopping a minute we could not go through all its streets in a year indeed the streets are so long that if they were placed end to end beginning at the thames they would reach across europe making a paved walk walled with houses through france germany and russia over the ural mountains and the highlands of tibet and clear across china to the pacific ocean we might learn something about london by a trip down the thames which flows through it on its way to the sea the city is sixty miles inland on this wide deep and smooth flowing river so situated that it is the natural outlet for the rich thames valley and so connected with other parts of england by railways and canals that it forms the best port for the shipment of all sorts of english manufactures to europe and the other continents and the places from which goods from abroad can most easily be sent out to all parts of england london is the greatest commercial port in the world and the thames has always thousands of ships anchored within it the river for miles is lined with wharves and there are so many vessels in some places that you can hardly make out the houses behind them standing upon london bridge we see a forest of masts extending on and on until our eyes are lost among them in the distance and in the enclosed docks near by the rigging of the vessels rises high among the chimneys of the great warehouses surrounding them we shall get an idea of the immensity of london by a visit to the grain and provision docks where dame commerce is kept busy unloading food for its gigantic stomach they are taking off live cattle and sheep by the thousands and discharging shiploads of beef which have come across the ocean from the united states in cold storage chambers london eats so much beef every year 
that the cattle required to supply it if driven along close together in a single file would make a drove as long as the distance from new york to a hundred miles beyond omaha the city eats so much mutton that vast factories have grown up in australia new zealand and argentina to freeze mutton for its markets the mutton is frozen hard before it is put into the coal chambers of the ships and when it reaches here is thawed out and sold in the fish markets there are hundreds of vessels for london eats more than one million pounds of fish every day and there are many great oyster farms all along the thames which supply the city with oysters the people of denmark would suffer if it were not for the money they get from the butter which spreads london's bread and northern france receives much of its income by supplying london with poultry and eggs canada and the united states send it vast quantities of cheese and indeed almost every part of the world finds something to do towards supplying food for it we are fortunate in having good weather during our travels in london to-day the thames is glistening like diamonds under the rays of the sun and the dingy buildings about us look less sombre than they did last night in the fog we leave our hotel at trafalgar square near the great granite column with the bronze statue of admiral nelson on top and walk down to the strand at charing cross where we get an omnibus for london bridge this will take us through the very centre of business london how narrow the streets are and how crowded they are so thronged from morning till night that there is no room for car lines and the people ride chiefly in cabs motor cars and omnibuses we take an omnibus and sit on the knife board in front on each side of the driver who points out the sights as we go he is a jolly rosy-cheeked man in a tall hat and rough clothes who uses his h's in a way that seems strange to us he calls he e and horses osses and speaks so queerly that we hardly understand half of what he says how interesting it is we are high up above the crowds that are hurrying in all directions while a tangle of hansoms four-wheeled carriages drays and omnibuses reaches on and on filling the streets as far as we can see the buildings on each side of us are dingy and old there are few tall structures like our so-called skyscrapers of new york and were it not for the dense throng of people we could not believe that we are in the world's chief business centre we are travelling through a part of old london where many of the houses were built generations ago and where the streets are narrow and crooked now we are passing through fleet street by the great publishing houses see the boys and girls coming out with bundles of newspapers under their arms the girls are bareheaded and they cry out the papers almost as loudly as the boys it is here that the chief london dailies are printed now we are going past st paul's cathedral what an enormous building it is it is one of the grandest churches of the world it is twelve o'clock and its great bell is striking the hour that bell is tolled only at the death of one of the royal family of england but it strikes the hours and its rich mellow tones can be heard far out of the city leaving st paul's we pass through cheapside and poultry to lombard street where we get down and walk about through the alleys lined with banks and business houses we are now in the money centre of london we walk through cornhill lombard and threadneedle streets seeing banking signs everywhere the buildings are usually of five or six stories they are substantial but not so large as the great office buildings of new york and chicago 
we see many well-dressed men about the stock exchange and realize that this is the chief money market of the whole world there are men here interested in undertakings all over the globe railroads in south america diamond mines in africa silk factories in china sugar plantations in cuba vast sheep farms in australia and gold silver and copper mines everywhere are worked with capital supplied from this part of london these buildings are filled with offices they are occupied only by day at night they will be deserted by all but the caretakers for the rich men and their clerks will then be in their homes in other parts of the city but what is that vast structure of sombre grey stone it covers eight acres and is the biggest building of this part of london it looks like a prison there is a guard at the door in a long scarlet gown and a velvet cocked hat he has a staff in his hand and at first we wonder if he is not some great money king and whether the staff is his sceptre that is the bank of england one of the most famous banks of the world it has charge of the government funds and also does so much private business that it often has as much as a half billion dollars worth of gold and other valuable things in its vaults we have a permit from a banker which we show to the scarlet gowned guard and he waves us to enter we first come into a large square room surrounded by counters behind which clerks are giving out gold they are not counting the coins as we do but are weighing them on scales like those used by our grocers see that man there scooping up gold just as a grocer scoops up sugar he knows exactly how many coins go to the ounce or the pound and in giving out large sums can count more easily by weight than by numbers for this reason the coins used by the bank must be perfect and none that are much worn or chipped will be taken every coin which the bank receives is weighed separately to see that it has just the right amount of gold in it but this is done by machines which work very rapidly automatically throwing out the light coins there are ten such machines in the bank each of which can weigh six thousand pieces of gold a day quitting the bank we visit the royal exchange nearby and then cross over to the mansion house where the lord mayor lives we next visit the tower of london which for years was the prison and place of execution for the celebrated criminals and traders of england it is a gloomy building on the banks of the thames some of it almost one thousand years old a quaintly attired warder acts as our guide taking us from room to room upstairs and down and making a shudder as he tells the horrible stories of the suffering and death which have occurred within it he shows us queen elizabeth's armory where all sorts of weapons and instruments of torture and lets us handle an axe which has cut off the heads of some of england's great nobles in another room we see the crown jewels of england they are kept in glass cases inside iron cages and carefully guarded that crown there which fairly blazes with precious stones was once queen victoria's it has two thousand seven hundred and eighty-three diamonds in it and the large ruby in front was worn by henry v on his helmet in one of his battles with the french hundreds of years ago the great stone near it is the celebrated koh-i-noor one of the largest diamonds known it once belonged to an indian rajah and came into the possession of the english when they conquered him from the tower we visit the tower bridge over the thames and thence walk on to london bridge the busiest of all the twenty bridges which cross the thames in the city 
the bridge is of granite and the bronze lamp-posts upon it were cast from cannon which the english had captured in battle we stand on the bridge watching the throng of people and vehicles which is always moving over this way and that the thames is filled with shipping there are steamers carrying passengers up and down stream and we are told by the policemen that we if we wish can ride back on one of them to charing cross for a penny we decide however to return by the underground railroad the streets in the heart of london are so thronged that people in a hurry travel underground great tunnels have been dug out under the houses and streets below the gas pipes and sewers there are railroads in the tunnels and fast express trains fly along through them stopping at the openings which have been made here and there with stairs to the streets a trip costs but four cents and the cars are so convenient that the trains annually carry many million passengers the tunnels are lighted by electricity they are walled with brick and are so well ventilated that we find riding in them more pleasant than jolting along on the omnibus End of chapter eight